Um, just a quick update before we, before we really start with um, the scriptures. Uh, we want to say thank you so much for your um, participation with Equipping Leaders International over the years. You've been uh, faithful partners with us for a lot of years. And uh, let me give you just some uh, kind of some numbers. All these numbers really just represent people and lives changed. But, but this is what you've been part of. Over this past year through Equipping Leaders International, what you, what you folks have really been partnered to is um, teaching over 150 teaching events. And 100 of those events actually were taught by nationals that you helped us prepare and go out and and teach and and between them and us, we were in ninety seven different cities and fifteen different nations uh, covered twenty five topics about how to apply the gospel in living. Uh, what all that represents is that you 've helped us speak to over seven thousand leaders this past year um, representing over close to well, 9,500, close to 9,500 congregations. And all of that means that you've helped us reach at the first level. You know, you've got the pastor and then, and then, and then his congregation, that first, that first level. You've, you've, you've spoken to nearly 800,000 people uh, about how to understand and apply the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've changed uh, a whole lot of lives, a lot, a lot of marriages, a lot of church congregations, a lot of uh, Christian schools. That movement is growing, and turn, we're in, impacting more and more Christian schools. And um, business, of min, business as ministry, people are impacting uh, the people they do business with uh, because they understand their business is, is uh, ministry. So I, I just want to thank you. Um, very much. We are we are growing as organizationally. I, I lose track of how many people we have on staff now, frankly. I'm not the director anymore. We passed that on to a fellow by the name of of um, uh, <laughs> all of a sudden Chuck <laughs> MacArthur. <laughs> I've known this brother for a lot of years. But anyway, uh, Chuck is a director, but I still help with the I'm still full time. I still help with the administration and I still go overseas and teach. And um, but but we're having so many additions. It, it's just exciting. I think we got about twenty some staff people now, and well over a hundred, well over a hundred nationals who are trained and who are going out teaching all these different places. And that's that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. So if the Lord is answering your prayers and He's multiplying uh, the financial support. And by the way, thank you so much for that extra year end. Uh, significant gift, so thank you so much for that. Um, being in the, <clears throat> the ministry that I'm in, all about leadership, when I started praying about, well, what are we going to do here Sunday, uh, I must admit what came to my mind is, is kind of a leadership passage, and it, and it really springs from Jesus' call to follow uh, you're, someone has said, how do you define a leader? A leader is defined because it's a person that has followers. If you have no followers, you have no leader, right? <laughs> Well-intentioned as you may be. Uh, and Jesus certainly calls people to follow him. So I want to talk uh, this morning about that. But let's read us our um, text today. John chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John chapter 10. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Very familiar passage. Anybody who's been in the church for any length of time, um, I don't know, do you stand when the word is read? And is that your part of your ritual? But um, if you feel comfortable doing that's fine. If not, that's fine too. Uh, John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. The word of God says, uh, this is um, Jesus speaking. To his disciples. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. 
But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying uh, to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life. I came that they may have life and have it how? Have it abundantly, excessive, overflowing, abundant. That's really what that word means. It's just bubbling out of the pitcher. You can't, there's, there's more than the pitcher can possibly hold. All right? That's the kind of life that Jesus offers his sheep. And then let's turn over to a passage in uh, Mark, Mark chapter 10. Matthew, Mark chapter 10. We're going to pick up at verse 29. And just read a few verses there. 10, 29. This is at the end of where Jesus was speaking to the rich young ruler who um, Jesus was trying to prod him to understand that Jesus has got to take very first priority over absolutely everything, yeah, even, in, even his economic security. And, and the man went away sad because he understood the cost. It, 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 it doesn't mean that he didn't become a believer, but, it, but he just understood. It's a very costly thing to follow Jesus. So then Jesus says this. Uh, well, well, well uh, one, one other piece of context. And that, that is his, his disciple. You know, Jesus says it's, it's, it's as impossible for a, a rich man to become a believer as it is to stuff a camel through the eye of a, a sewing needle. So the, the, the apostles say, well, who in the world, if it's that hard, how in the world could anybody become a believer? And Jesus said, well, with man, you can't. It's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. So God can do it. You can't, but God can do it. Uh, so, so then Jesus says to his followers, truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. May God grant us grace to understand and apply his word. Do you remember, um, how many, well, let's put it this way, how many can remember the game Follow the Leader? I suspect in this, in this audience, virtually everybody here remembers the game Follow the Leader. Did you ever play that? If you played the game Follow the Leader, right, raise your hand. I'm seeing if you're following the leader. You know, it's sort of like the same game as Simon Says, right? Simon Says, raise your hand, right? Right? Follow the leader. Oops. <laughs> don't do that, though. Don't, don't knock your earpiece off. All right. So in the follow the leader, you know, somebody gets up and is at the head of the line, and then the leader goes and does something crazy, you know, whacks his hands, you know, jumps up, you know, tries to jump across a ditch, you know, walks on the blocks, you know, and everybody else has got to follow him or her. Follow the leader. Um, kind of a fun game, silly game. Um, but uh, it, it picks up on something that is inherent in us by virtue of being created in God's image. Do you ever think about the fact that this idea of leadership 
it's you could say it's inbred it's inborn <laughs> you you start as a baby following a leader and just think of all the places where following a leader is revealed in the world in which we live and it's no wonder why we are prone to follow leaders god the creator does what with his creation he leads it right Nothing happens that, that God doesn't determine that it happens. He leads his congregation. He created all things visible and invisible, and all things visible and invisible follow his leading. There is no such thing as chance. There's no accidents. It all happens because God commands it. He even commands it to rain or to stop rain, right? God leads his creation. In the Godhead, when we talk about the Godhead and the Trinity, what, what are the parts of the Trinity? How do we describe them, the three persons? The, the Father. What's the relationship between a father and a son? Leader. It's a leader. Right? And Jesus ascends and, and uh, God the Father, God the Son, send the Spirit. Who's the Spirit all about? The Spirit follows whom? The God the Father and God the Son. Spirit doesn't even speak of himself. He only speaks of Jesus. Leadership, right in the very God him, Godhead himself, in the family. The very first family. Who was the leader between Adam and Eve? Adam. And that's why sin passed down through Adam, because he was the leader and he failed his job as a leader, but right in the family. And then you move that on into marriage. Who's the head of the family? The husband. There's leadership built into the very concept and in parents and children. And then you expand that into the social units and you have family clans. Now in the scripture and even outside the scripture, what happens in family clans or tribes? You have family heads, clan heads, chiefs, right? And then you boil that over and, you, and eventually that grows into kings in political nations. Leaders In warfare, how does warfare work? You have generals. Don't we have a general here? Huh? We, where is the general? Yeah. Right. You have commanders and chiefs in warfare. In the church, you have elders. Right? You have leadership built into the church. In the body of Christ, we have a head. And what's the job of the head? It's to lead. Are you with me? See? The scripture talks about Jesus being the chief shepherd. Right? Hebrews. Jesus is the chief shepherd. The elders are the under shepherds. Leadership is built into the creation. Follow the leader comes natural. It's just who we are as created beings in the world that God creates. Leadership is absolutely essential. It's baked into every one of us. We follow leaders. Um, what's the chief, a chief metaphor that runs from Genesis to Revelation that talks about leadership? God's people are what? They are sheep, right? God is the shepherd. All the way through scripture, God is a shepherd, and his people are sheep. And sometimes they go astray on their own way, right? But the point of it is we are sheep. The relationship between leaders and followers is part of the created universe. The relationship is very good because it does reflect the character of God, it cre and it reflects the way he's created, uh, the creation. It reflects... The Trinity reflects the Godhood. Unfortunately, there's another truth about what happens in the universe with respect to leadership and followers. The other truth is that um, there was a rebellion in heaven, right? A very beautiful angel referred to in the scripture as Lucifer. He led, if you follow Revelation, he led maybe about a third of the heavenly hosts in a rebellion against God because why? He didn't want to bow down. He wanted to be his own 
man. He wanted to be his own leader. And then what happens is we see him showing up on planet Earth in the garden. And what does he do? Surely God hath not said. Surely God has not said. Because he doesn't want you to be God. But you know what? Take a bite of that. You'll know what God knows. You know what? You can be your own leader. Eve delivers to Adam. Adam knows better. God said, in the day you do this, you shall what? Surely die. Adam does it anyway. Why? Wants to be his own leader. And sin passes upon all men, women, children, and we die. One of the exciting things about uh, the Garden of Eden is, uh, anybody know what the word Eden means in Hebrew, roughly? Has, has, right? I'm sure Keith probably said this more than once, but Eden means delight. It means pleasure. Oftentimes, it's, it's uh, described, it, it can be translated paradise. So what happens to the man who wants to be his own leader? He and his family get kicked out of paradise. Think about that. You have everything. You enjoy getting up in the morning and going to work. You really do. It's, it's a joy to go to work, even in a garden, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, many, how many people in the garden, and you find that not joyful now? So you lost that. You know, you could walk around and eat of anything. You had abundance. You can eat of any, anything you want in the garden and live for how long? Ever and ever and ever and ever and then some more evers. No sick, no tears, no crying, no broken relationships. It's like a fairy tale and happily ever after, except it never ends. It's, you know, but because of wanting to be one's own leader, they lost paradise. And I think what happens as a result of that, men and women, boys and girls, are trying to find their way back to paradise. How many of us long for the day that we have paradise? I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian, right? Everybody would love to live someplace where I'm actually always accepted by everybody where I'm absolutely safe from anything. No harm can touch me. No sickness, no tears, no cancer, no loss. I enjoy going to work. Everybody wants that. Right? So what do we do in order to find it? We latch on to people or things or concepts that will lead us back there. That's human nature. We were never designed to live in a broken, fallen world. We were designed to live in paradise. It, uh, Ecclesiastes says, eternity has been put into man's heart. But he doesn't know how to get there, to paraphrase what it says. Eternity is baked into us, so we know there's something better. So we want to find how to get back there. So we look to leaders, because we don't know the answer. If we knew the answer, we'd go do it. So we try to imagine an answer. Well, is it, will this politician bring it in? Will this celebrity show me how to do it? Will my 401k guarantee that I have it? Right? And then you can go on and on and on about ideas and concepts and people that we're looking to to get us back to paradise. That's the bad news of the fallen and broken world do we, that we live in. Does that sound like reality? Hmm? Yeah, it is. That is the world we live in. That's the bad news. It's the good news. The good news is God the Father sent us a leader, and that leader will get us back to paradise. 
That's what he came for. He came to seek and to save that which is lost so he can deliver it back to the Father. And there will be great joy in heaven for the Father and for all those that he takes with him. Amen? That's the good news. So I do want to talk to you about this call that Jesus gives to us when he says, follow me. And think of it this way. This is the way I'm trying to package this thing in my own heart and mind because I'm trying to pay attention to what I'm saying. Believe me. Uh, uh, How do I know that I'm on my way back to paradise? All right, but what does that mean? That's what I'm going to, that's what we're going to try to look at. All right? And we're going to look at it under the idea of three, three ideas. I'm a Presbyterian, so we only can, we're only going to do three, three ideas at a time. And I even have a poem at the end. So, uh, <laughs> so take your sermon outline. You've got a blank page there. And, and, and here it is. Uh, we're going we're to cover these uh, three points. Um, followers. Um, leave what they're doing. Followers learn what to do, and followers teach others. All right? And if all those three things are happening in your life, I want you to use that as a means of assurance that you're on your way to paradise. And some of it you're experiencing it now because Jesus said a hundredfold in this life. And in the age to come. All right, so let's look at it. All right, first of all, followers, hear and respond. Um, sort of, uh, you know, when you, you if uh, I, I thought back at a time that maybe in school our teacher decided, to, let's we're going to play follow me, uh, I mean, I play uh, uh, follow the leader. So as soon as the leader says in the classroom, you got all this confusion, you know, little boys and girls running around, you included, and, and the teacher says, okay, line up, let's play a game, and, and we're going to play follow me, or I'm going to play uh, um, follow the leader, right? What happens in the classroom? Everybody lines up, shuts up, and lines up, right? Isn't that the way it happens? <laughs> so, so what happens is the boys and girls, you included, you hear. You hear the sound. But you also hear something else. It, the sound that you hear in the words, line up, follow the leader, you, you give assent to it. You know it applies to you. And, once, and then you trust that it applies to you, and then you behave. You do it. That's the big picture, so think about this. Jesus... <clears throat> um, comes to his disciples in Mark and, well, in Matthew. Actually, I'm building off the Matthew passage primarily, but Matthew, uh, Jesus uh, comes along uh, the lakeside, and he sees these two fellows, Peter and John, and he says to them, follow me. It's like the teacher saying, line up. You be the head. Sheep have, uh, did a little homework on sheep, there's a fascinating YouTube, fascinating YouTube about these sheep. Sheep have this incredible ability to distinguish the master's voice. On the YouTube thing, they, they, they demonstrated this by the, the camera was looking out over this fairly large pasture, and there was, I don't know, 20 sheep out there in the pasture. And uh, so this shepherd says to uh, at least three other people, now here's how I call my sheep. Ticka, ticka, ticka. So then they march up these three people. You know, this this one guy gets up, you know, and he goes, tick a tick a tick. And the sheep just, you know, and he goes, tick a tick a tick. So then they get the, these two other women, and, you know, the other woman goes up and she goes, tick a tick a tick. So then they get this uh, other woman comes up. She goes, well, you know, they do absolutely nothing. So then the shepherd gets up and the shepherd goes, tick a tick a tick. And what happens? The sheep immediately put their head up. Their ears immediately turn. 
and they come running clean across the pasture to him at the fence. Now, all those sheep heard the sound, but they didn't hear their shepherd. They have this incredible ability to distinguish, this is my shepherd. Jesus says, I have come. The Father's given all that the Father has given to me will come. Right? He says, my sheep hear my voice. And it's exactly like that. Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, calls his sheep to himself. And if you're his sheep, you hear him. Now, we experience that in different, different ways. You know, part of it, if we go into deep theology about that, we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit speaks about Jesus. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. The Holy Spirit convinces us that Jesus died in our place. The righteous Jesus died in our place as a satisfactory substitute. The Holy Spirit convinces us that judgment has passed and we're safe on the other side because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does all that in the course of you and me here in the gospel. But his sheep lift their head up, turn their ears. They get it. And what they get is this. And the reason the sheep come running to the shepherd is they know the shepherd loves them. The shepherd feeds them. The shepherd walks with them. The shepherd shows them where to get good water. The shepherd keeps them from harm. The shepherd snatches them up from danger. The shepherd heals them. The shepherd loves them. They get it. All right, so what do they do? They do like Peter and John. Peter, uh, you know, uh, uh, Peter and Andrew. They're fishing. How many people are fishermen? This is a, this, this is a tough thing, isn't it? You're out there fishing, and all of a sudden this guy says, come. <laughs> you know, forget about that bass. <laughs> Get out of that boat and follow me. Right? <laughs> well, they walk away. And then he goes down, and then he goes down to some people who are obvious. They appear to be. Everybody seems to think that that um, James and John and his father they must have been in business. This must have been their job. This this was their livelihood, right? Uh, and they walk away from it and they follow him. And that's the way it is with Jesus. When you get it, when you hear the shepherd, nothing else matters. Position. Power, economic stability, uh, family. That's what he's mean. You know, some, some, well, Jesus, Jesus' own family thought he was crazy. So what did he have to do? He had to walk away from his family. That's what following Jesus entails. It means Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is number one. And that's the starting place. You, you, go, you grasp it and you initially walk away. Now, you and I are not perfected, so we're like those sheep that the Scripture... Sometimes we wander away, but Jesus won't let you wander far. He'll snatch you back. You know, so we go in and out, you know, around about. But the point is, you belong to him. He belongs to you. You hear it, and you know it deep in your soul. And you try. You try to live that out. That's the first step. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. That's profound, isn't it? <laughs> Write that down. That's a quote. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. They don't just talk about him. They actually do everything that they know how to do to actually pay attention and follow him. So if that's where you are, that's a good place to start. Second point. Followers of Jesus um, are learners. They are disciples. Uh, a disciple is simply a learner. 
if you are a learner, learner from Jesus, right? Uh, while you're following him, in the, uh, you will learn from him. Jesus puts it this way. He says, take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle. You know, I'm not a harsh, terrible um, teacher. I'm gentle and kind and humble. I'm the kind of teacher every, every student would love to have. Haven't you had teachers that are just nasty? I remember Mrs. Schnicker. I was in fifth grade, and I dreaded, oh, please, let's not get Mrs. Schnicker. <laughs> oh, I don't want to get Mrs. Schnicker. And sure enough, I got Mrs. Schnicker. Ended up failing the sixth grade, as a matter of fact. Uh, no, no, I passed. The, I failed the seventh grade. <laughs> but uh, but um, Jesus says, look, I'm gentle, I'm kind, I'm humble, I'm a good teacher. You'll love being in my class. <coughs> Learn from me. And he uses this model of take my yoke, you know, and, and Keith has probably said this, but, but I did a little YouTube homework. <laughs> and, and if you have a stronger ox that knows how to furrow a straight path uh, and you want to train a younger one, you put that yoke across their neck, that wooden thing that's got two holes for the head. And you put the, the, the stronger, smarter one here, and you put the younger one there, and they walk side by side for at least five days. Well, actually, close to ten days because you do various things with them. But the point of it is the younger one learns from the older one. Well, Jesus is your older brother. That's the way he's presented in Scripture. He's the older brother from the parable of the, of the brothers and the one who ran away. Uh, you know, to use up his father's inheritance, uh, and, and then he comes back, and the older brother was kind of mad. But Jesus is the is the right kind of older brother. In that parable, the older brother should have gone after the younger brother. That was his social responsibility. In the parable that Jesus tells, the older brother does not do it. He does not take his responsibility to go find the younger brother, bring him back, and train him, and have a wonderful life. He doesn't do it. Jesus is your older brother who came and found you, and he's going to show you how to live as his brother in his father's house. So followers are disciples. They are learners. One of the fascinating things to me about the book of Matthew is I believe that Matthew, I'm not the only one that believes this, other people believe this, Matthew was written to show you how to make disciples. And what's interesting is it's Matthew that as soon as Jesus comes on the scene in chapter 4, you know, Matthew gives you his historical background, his ancestry and all that stuff. And then, and then he says, Jesus began to preach the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And then the very first thing that shows up is Jesus walking by the seaside, and he, and he calls Peter and James, and, and, I mean, he, he calls Peter and Andrew, and then the next, in the end of that paragraph, he calls uh, James and John. So he calls disciples. And the way the book of Matthew is structured is there's five teaching sessions. There's these sessions of teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount, and then there's a session of application, which shows you the teaching applied. And then there's another section of teaching about the kingdom. And then there's a section of Jesus actually applying it. Then there's another section about teaching, parables about what the kingdom is like and what it's not like. And then there's application. Matthew's book is full of how to make disciples. Here's teaching and here's application. And at the very end, how does the book of Matthew close? Come on. Chapter 28. 18, 19, 20. Do what? Yeah, go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. Matthew is, Jesus does what for three years? For three years, what does he do? He makes disciples. So followers do what? They learn from Jesus. Um, Just as a a, a kind of a brief example to illustrate this, Matthew, he calls the four disciples Chapter 4, chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. So he has to change the way these people think. They were, cert- they were thinking certain things about what it looks like if I'm blessed from God, right? And they had the wrong idea. So it starts out with the Beatitudes. Here's what being blessed by God actually looks like. It's not what you think. You think being blessed by God means you're bold and courageous 
right? Uh, and you have that kind of personality. And you, but he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not about being bold and courageous to get in the kingdom. It's about being brokenhearted, poor in spirit. Let me tell you something else. It's life is not all happy. Blessed are those who mourn, right? Blessed are the meek, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. He's changing the way they think. You think you're insignificant and you don't matter in the world? Let me tell you something. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Get over thinking you're nobody. You are changing the world. That's who you are. Now stop and think about some of these commandments that you've heard. Internalize them. Anger. Well, look, if you're... It's not just about your outward anger, lust. It's not just about your outward sexual behavior. We're talking about deep heart stuff here. He's teaching them. They have to learn a whole new framework, a whole new perspective. Are you with me? He's changing the way they think, the way they feel, their, their whole entire perspective about God, his world, themselves, their neighbors, their work. Everything has to change. They have to become new creations. And they do that by learning from the word of God and the spirit of God in a very personal relationship. They're learners. I think of uh, Deo Mwanji. Uh, Deo Mwanji was a young man I met in, in uh, Uganda years ago, and he was a fighter, a boxer, a cheat, uh, a thief, never been to church in his life. 16 years old. Never really knew who his, mo- his father was. He never knew who his mother was. His, his father was running around with so many, never, kn- never knew her. He survived by boxing and stealing. In a very brief period of time, in days, he comes to faith in Christ. Deo set his mind to learn. He could not speak English, but he managed to talk himself into an English-speaking Bible class. He learned Bible and English simultaneously. He became and still is a very, very significant leader in the Christian church, not just in, in Uganda, but in Kenya and other places. He changed. On the other hand, I can think of somebody, I'll call him John. Or you call him Pete, Harry, Mary, George, Simone. Give it any name you want. Think of the man who's been in the church as long as I've known him. Professes to be a Christian. But as far as I can tell, he hasn't learned a thing. Hasn't learned a thing. Never talks to Jesus. Demonstrates very, very little fruit of the Spirit. Has no concern. And yet, walks around naming the name of Jesus. If you ask him, is he Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, is he learning? Not learning. He's not a follower. I wouldn't say he's a follower based on it. Jesus said that by their fruits, you can know them, right? If there's no fruit, you've got to ask yourself. You ask yourself. Always be and evaluate yourself. Is there fruit in my life? Am I learning? Do I know more today about Jesus than I did last week? Am I different? Do I think different? Do I feel different? Am I in love with him more? Do I see him better? All right? Learners. Follower of Jesus is a learner. Are you learning? I've been around the church a long time in a lot of churches, and I've seen a lot of people and heard a lot of stories of people who are not learners. They don't know any more about Jesus today than the first day they thought they were following him. You're not learning from Jesus. You're not following him. You with me? Got it? All right. You hear his voice, and you know he's calling you. It's not a general call. What's interesting about hearing his voice is that Jesus is the word. That's sort of analytical, abstract. Jesus is the word, but he's incarnate. So he's the word made flesh. So there's this business of 
One, it's an intellectual understanding of the word, but there's also a personal relationship with it, right? It's a relational understanding, the shepherd. The shepherd has a sound, but the shepherd is a person. So it's hearing the person of Jesus, and then it's learning from him, being different, bearing fruit. All right, that's two. Three, what's three? Followers um, become leaders. Uh, you know, in, uh, the, the way, remember how, the, remember how the, uh, the game follow the leader works? Everybody's lined up, and, and when you make a mistake, you know, you don't do exactly what the leader says, what happens? You're out of the game. Well, over time, the leader's job is to, well, in the playing of the game, what happens is more and, people, more and more people drop out. And then the one person standing, the last man standing beside the leader, what happens? That person becomes what? Leader. The leader. Well, that's, that's the way discipleship works. That is exactly the way discipleship works. What did Jesus do for 12 years? I mean, what, what, no, what, what did he do for three years? He poured his life into 12, and knowing he was going to lose one, Right? So for three years, he poured his life into these fellows. And then he goes to glory, and he said, you're in charge. There's a little bit of a joke about that. You know, he gets to heaven, and the angels say to him, Jesus, you left heaven. Your job was to save the world. So um, what are you going to do about that? He says, well, I trained these 11 guys, and, and they'll do it. They said, well, yeah, but what if that doesn't work? What's plan B? And Jesus said, there isn't any plan B. <laughs> There's no plan B. That's it. Right? They're not perfect, but they're going to get the job done. Because the leader's job, the follower's job, the follower's job is to make more followers. That's our calling. I want to tell you a personal conviction as I was doing this sermon this past week, thinking about this. What struck me that really hadn't struck me before like it did this time? Three times in Scripture, Jesus talks about following him, and he talks about persecution. Now, it's not easy. Being a follower of Jesus, you know, he says, you're going to get a hundredfold. That, that hundredfold, by the way, is the idea that if I, give, if, if I say that my house, my 401K, my friends, uh, my wife, my children, they are not the number one priority, and I'm willing to give them up, not that, you have, uh, not that they will leave, but sometimes you, you do have to do that. I mean, you have to, that is your priority. Uh, Jesus says, you know what? You're going to get them back. Now, think about this. If any of you have really had to, uh, uh, I have a brother who, well, years, we're much closer now, but years ago, he wouldn't have anything to do with Christianity. So I, I basically, I lost my brother. I had to choose between my brother and Jesus, right? So I chose Jesus, right? All right, but you know what? I got a whole lot more brothers in the church. The scripture says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's your fellow Christian, Right? Right? Who are, Jesus says, who is my mother and my brother? What's he saying? Those that do the will of the Father. So in the church, in, in this life, right? We, how many times have we talked about my father in the faith, my mother in the faith, who's trained, who loved me more than my own mother and father? And I get the riches, right? We share. All right, so, but there's with, there comes persecution. So, so here's what Jesus says. You, you know, with persecution, it's not easy. Uh, Jesus doesn't pretend that it's easy. But, but he says, those who are willing to do this, for, watch this, for my name's sake and the gospel. And I started turning over. What does that mean? For my name's sake and the gospel. Those are the people that will receive the hundredfold. For my name's sake. Name has to do with all of who the person is. When we talk about God's name, we talk about all who he, all who he is. All who he is? Whatever the grammar is supposed to be. We, we, we talk about all that God is, right? And all that God does, right? Your name is your reputation, Right? That's what your name is. Your name is your reputation. Your name is your person. When I say your name, you think about who you are and you think about what you do. It's your reputation. So those who follow Jesus for his reputation. All right, so the people would praise Jesus. Hallelujah. That's good stuff, right? And we believe that. 
Believe that? All right? You're going to get persecuted. You know that? <laughs> but he doesn't say just that. For my name's sake and the gospel. What's the gospel? Good news. For who? Jesus doesn't need the good news. God the Father doesn't need the good news. Who needs the good news? All those sheep who have gone astray that Jesus came to bring back. That's your job. This brother that prayed that we would be more evangelistic. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's exactly what it is. Until we, could be home, until we go home to glory, our number one priority is the gospel. It's not building our 401k. It's not getting a better golf score. It's not being the, the queen of the quilting bee. It's not reading all the good books or on the 100 great lists. It, it's, not, it's none of those things. It's not having the, the, the greatest yard. It's, it's not becoming the president of some company. It's not owning more Bitcoin than anybody else. Right? Your number one job, mine too. And here's where I'm preaching to me. I got hung up in this pattern of, and I'm about to close. Uh, I got hung up in this pattern of, even though I've been a pastor for a lot of years, I got hung up in this pattern about personal growth, individuals. I sort of got my eye off the ball about making disciples. Investing in other people. It's all about making disciples. And what's a disciple? You've got to bring somebody to the place where they're willing to give it all up and follow Jesus. And they have to learn. And how do they learn? They learn through you and me. They learn by example. They learn by instruction. There was this uh, warrant officer, for any of you who've been in the service, the warrant officer is one of the grades in the service. He's, he's below the commissioned officer. So uh, <clears throat> even though he may have a whole lot smarter, frankly. Uh, so this warrant officer picked up this young lieutenant and his wife. Technically, the warrant officer worked for the lieutenant. So the first day, uh, basically on the job, the warrant officer says to this young lieutenant, hey, you want to go down to the officer's club? Get to know one another? Well, that sounds like a good deal, going to the officer's club. That sounds always a good deal, go to the officer's club. So you go down to the officer's club, and he says, where are you from? Uh, Baltimore. Oh, I used to go to the ball. I used to be in Baltimore, stationed at Fort Hollibird. Okay, all right, that's cool. Bonding, right? Grow up in the same town. Well, where'd you go to church? Oh, I went to Inverness Presbyterian Church. Man, you're kidding. I had six kids in that church in those years. We found out we didn't know. Oops, disclosed it. All right, didn't know each other. Right? Bottom line is, would you like to come to a Bible, you know, build, you know, had us over to dinner, built relationship with us, and then invited us to a Bible study. The Bible study, we came to faith in Christ. I wasn't going to do this we, but now you, I've disclosed it. So, so we come to faith in Christ. And then what, what, what he did was come over to our house every week. Now, they had six kids, but they had time for us to come every week. And showed us the word of God, showed us how to study the word of God, showed us how to have assurance of our salvation, showed us how to pray, showed us how to witness, set us up for life. They really did. The reason I'm in the ministry today, humanly speaking, is because Wes and Janet Spurl got it. Get it? Our job is to make disciples. Our church, the church I attend, we just got an email from them uh, two, three days ago. Here's what we're going to do. The whole church, here's the plan. And they're going to keep the focus on the plan. This very first month, here's, here's our job as a congregation. Our job is to go find somebody and greet them, somebody we don't know, maybe outside the kingdom. Maybe they need to know the Lord better. Maybe they just need to be deeper. The point of it is go greet people. Our job is to focus on praying and greeting people. Next month is what? It's build relationship all right get them in your house do something get involved with them somehow get connected with them deeper than just saying hello how are you it's build relationship with them and then three months from now it's invite invite them into your life invite them to come to jesus invite them to come to church 
But it's an intentional, here's the point, it's an intentionality. I think that's what the church needs today, intentionality. Be intentional about making disciples because if you're not doing that, you're not following Jesus. You're kidding yourself. You are not following the shepherd. You're wandering around out there, and you just pray that somebody come find you someday. Maybe this is the day you're going to be found and come back to the fold. Sheep and a flock have an incredible thing that they go on. Sheep follow sheep. If one sheep walks off a cliff, and there's stories in, in, of, of 300 sheep in Greece or someplace that one walked off the cliff, the other 300 just walked right off. Sheep follow sheep. We're sheep that have been brought back into the fold who are following the shepherd. So you know what our job is? To make sure every sheep that is around us, if they follow us, they follow us like Paul said. Follow me even as I follow Jesus. Don't let them walk off the cliff. All right? Go get them. Uh, a couple years ago, we were over in Melbourne, Florida. And, uh, well, you know, uh, and we, got in, we were at the church, and we got invited to a breakfast event that sounded like a whole lot of fun because we loved the folks in Melbourne. I think it was Melbourne. We loved the folks in this church. And we got invited to a breakfast event, and I thought, that was really going to be great. And I'll allow you to correct me after, after the sermon if I get this wrong. But, but I'll get the point right, okay? It may be the wrong church. But, but anyway, my point, is, <laughs> my point is it was being held at this house someplace out on the coastal road, and uh, it was back before I used a GPS. I didn't have a smartphone. I was pretty dumb. And uh, so I said to the person that we were with, because we had stayed the night with them, I said, well, we'll just follow you over. And, and my recollection was they were driving like a gray Honda or something like that sedan. So we had to go from their subdivision, winding around a bunch of this and play across the bridge and to get out to the coast road. At that point, it was just one straight shot. But someplace along the way, I started following another gray Honda. <laughs> and we're going and going and going and going. I'm thinking, you know, I'm almost into the Georgia line. You know, what's wrong? <laughs> you know? And we finally realized I was following the wrong leader. You know what? I missed the party. Don't follow the wrong leader. Don't miss the party. All right? Get back to paradise. Amen. Lord, thank you uh, for your grace. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you love us beyond our imagination. And uh, lead us home, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.